So in the 10 years, I've been empowered to teach. I've um, been lucky and fortunate enough to uh, work one-on-one -on -one with now hundreds of uh, people over that period. And um, uh, one of the themes I've noticed over the years is that a lot of the interpersonal relationship struggles that uh, we can get ourselves into in life are based on uh, what I'll call an over-reliance on intuition or gut feelings and an under-reliance on setting good boundaries. So uh, I'm only going to talk for a moment about the gut feelings or intuition part. I've given so many talks on gut feelings. If you'd like, go to the podcast and you'll hear, if you look up feelings or intuitions or any of that, you'll, you'll find the talks. Uh, in short, um, intuition, what some clinicians call rapid cognition, uh, gut feelings, the kind of sense that you get about people. It's built up over um, past experience. Uh, there are many positive roles for intuition. It's extremely helpful in one's work. So if you've developed a lot of experience in, a, in some um, form of skill, uh, any job or something like that, your work is, uh, you know, I don't know, interior designer or painter or uh, um, you, you work in something where you have to make a lot of decisions, trusting your gut is very, very, very useful. Because over the years of trial and error, gut feelings become a form of shorthand that are extremely useful. Unfortunately, a lot of our relational experience with other people is set by uh, really uh, negative experiences as well as positive. We can have both secure and insecure caretaking as children. We can experience all kinds of interpersonal events in early school life. Uh, and those experiences will shape our gut reactions and feelings. And gut feelings or intuitions will often, when it comes to choosing people, whether to be roommates, business partners, lovers, friends, uh, are notoriously notoriously poor for that purpose. And yet we all want to rely on them. And then we all wonder why, and not we all, many of us wonder why after a series, a series of often disappointing uh, events, whether in relationships, romantic or otherwise, we can feel as if our picker is broken. <laughs> one of my favorite things to hear. <laughs> my picker's broken. 
We all know where men's pickers are. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, the psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize, wrote, intuition leads to decisions that are systematically biased and suboptimal. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote the book Blink, which is like the, one of the sort of positive, hey, intuition should have a role in business practices and decision-making, but he himself says that in many, many interpersonal situations, uh, it can be uh, a notorious uh, uh, bias it can lead us in the wrong direction due to our earlier experiences or cultural uh, exposures or whatnot. My favorite is, uh, I just love this one, uh, Mary Ellen O'Toole. She was actually one of the FBI's great profilers of psychopaths. In fact, uh, Silence of the Lambs and other, you know, those classic movies of profilers are actually based on her. She was the one that caught many of the killers that escaped detection by huge teams of FBI agents. And she wrote a book about it called Dangerous Instincts. The entire book is about how gut feelings resulted in so many unnecessary deaths. Because, and I'm reading from her, the most dangerous people come across as the most harmless. That's how they're able to continue killing people. <laughs> <laughs> Investigators would regularly explain to O'Toole in quotes, I don't know. I just looked at him and I could tell he was innocent. He seemed like such a good guy. <laughs> These were murderers they were referring to. So if you're relying upon your gut feelings or your intuitions and you're finding that uh, you're constantly winding up with some seriously disappointing experiences, don't feel alone. It's very commonplace. Our entire culture sells the idea of love at first sight, which is obviously based on uh, intuition or gut feelings. In movies, they love to do what's called meet cute, which is two people bumping into each other. And there, Meg Ryan sees... What's his name? <laughs> Billy Crystal. And why she would find that guy attractive, I have no idea. It just looks like a, from another planet, you know. But they, people bump into each other, and there's this, you know, this spark, this magic. And we all, it seems as a culture, have bought into this idea that we'll know. We'll feel it. It'll be this magic. And I'm not saying that intuition doesn't have a place. Of course the physical attraction, there'll be an element of, of course, intuition in it. The 
sense of humor that somebody has, there'll be elements of intuition. It's not so much that I'm trying to suggest ridding oneself of trusting one's gut. I'm simply saying that we need to seriously counterbalance that with another process, which is called developing smart boundaries in life. That's what does the heavy lifting in early relationships until you get to the place where you've really established trust and security. Boundaries are there to establish security in life. Now, I thought it would be interesting not just to do a simple rehash, because you can go anywhere on the Internet and do uh, a search for how to set boundaries. And there's, I'm sure there's lots of stuff out there. I know I've read um, some uh, works on it. And there's a guy, Gagurinzer, who's a neuropsychologist who writes a lot about it. Um, but I thought I'd actually talk about uh, boundaries from a Buddhist perspective. I think it's a really interesting take on how to establish uh, limits to what we'll do and how we'll act with others in life. The Buddha was really, really good at setting boundaries. And um, so um, to start out with... Um, I'm not going to be talking about it also from the perspective of monks and nuns. They have what's known as the Padimokkha, which has 227 different rules that pretty much dictate a lot of their behavior in relation to others. Uh, so if you're interested in that, by all means, look it up. But I'm going to be talking about the Buddha's teachings of setting boundaries to lay practitioners. That's you and I. Um, so to start out, what is a boundary? A boundary is, a, is a, a list of our capabilities or our limitations and how we can safely behave with others without causing ourselves or them needless suffering. Now, I'd like to delineate between um, a boundary which uh, is set to avoid real uh, discomfort and irritations or habits. For example, I like to have my iced coffee in the morning. And if I, for some reason, I went to the, the place and they ran out of coffee, that would be an irritation. That would not be them I would not have my boundaries violated. <laughs> if, you know, people all the time in life do small, irritating things. And, uh, you know, uh, I always forget at one of the other spaces um, that where I teach, they're very strict about where you wear uh your shoes and where you can't. I always forget. And I drive them crazy. I'm just schlomping around with my <laughs> my shoes in the yoga area. And uh, so um, 
I think they would agree, though, that I'm not violating their. I'm not. There's no boundaries that are being. It's, it's, it's uh, an irritating mistake. But boundaries are. In fact, the Buddha talked about what those things are: habits, or rites, or rituals in uh, Sila Upadana. He talks about how important it is to learn how to let go of those little preferences we have and to allow ourselves to. Uh, at times, be disappointed. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, um, the neighbor will come home and will be very loud uh, next door, and they'll, you know, they, I know they don't mean it, and it'll only last for a little while. I, I don't. When it comes to boundaries, I like to delineate it as something that will cause suffering, that will last, not just for the irritation right then, but for it will last for a significant period of time afterwards. There will be what the Buddha called Samwega, a lasting sense of feeling disappointed with oneself, you know, uh, ashamed or uncomfortable, and it doesn't just pass. It's a lingering shadow after we do something that re we realize in some way violates our core integrity. Okay. So we have to be wise when we're setting boundaries to know that they're serious things. When we set them, we're really saying, this is something that if I violate, I will not just cause myself a little bit of discomfort or irritation, but I will be, um, I'll really feel a great deal of discomfort afterwards. Um, we have five moral absolutes as uh, spiritual practitioners that uh, set a sort of foundation of universal. And these are the only universal boundaries that we maintain as um, uh, spiritual practitioners that are transpersonal. There's, we refrain from killing, stealing, or taking what isn't ours, from abusive speech, from causing harm through intoxication or through sexuality. Uh, in general, the sexuality is having uh, adultery or having sex with someone who's in a relationship with another person, whether it's lying or cheating. Um, causing harm through uh, intoxicants is getting drunk to the point where we can't control our actions or we do things that we regret. So those are the five things we want to avoid. And I'm not going to be talking about those either because I've given tons and tons of talks of, about right action. If you go on Dharma Seed, you can find 500 talks on right action. Uh, I'm going to talk about the personal subjective boundaries that are different from one person to the next. And these are what the Buddha often referred to as ajasaya, there are personal limitations. They're not universal. For instance, some of us are need freaks, and if we take in a roommate who uh, is a slob and just leaves clothes everywhere, you know, doesn't clean up, it's, it's not just a little bit of discomfort. It's like OCD. It's like, oh, we really, really suffer. Or some of us have um, 
some people can move very, very quickly, quickly into uh, sexual relationships. Other people have to go really slowly. There's no right or wrong. We each have to know what is our own unique, appropriate timetable. Some people, if they quickly jump into bed, they follow their intuition rather than know that they have to set firm boundaries on how fast to move sexually. They suffer. They feel uncomfortable or they feel, um, they feel suddenly uh, uh, overly attacked. And they know that. So we have to be aware of our own personal areas. Does that make sense? Are you all following? Okay. So, um, the Buddha talked a lot about, in fact, that these boundaries have to be set by reflection. And we, we need to spend a great deal of time because our suffering is not just going to be caused by people being abusive or uh, rough with us. Sometimes people, entirely well-meaning people uh, who are just following, following their own natural behaviors will do something that for us is a real trigger. And it's important to know what we're comfortable with and what we absolutely are not comfortable with. Um, I have a boundary that's pretty strict with uh, over the years of doing mentoring, once in a while there'll be just that person that uh, uh, they'll hear do mentoring will call me up drunk at 12.30 in the middle of the night wanting to spiel about all their unhappiness. I thought that's what exes are for. <laughs> yeah, I'm not your ex. Uh, but a boundary is like in that situation, you know, you have to, you have to, you know, if I'm when I mentor people, I make appointments, and they, it's at a specific time, and I don't do it outside of that time. That's an example because I saw very quickly that when I allowed people to just call me and I started talking, you know, anytime, my life was immediately swallowed and I didn't have any balance in my life. So setting a boundary there was being very strict about when I would talk to people and what times I would and when I wouldn't and which days I don't and stuff like that. Well, you know, that's, that's part of the deal. And we all have to know what is applicable to us. The Buddha said one should reflect again and again on which actions feel appropriate over time and which feel inappropriate. The very first thing he said, and that's in the Idi Vutaka, the very first thing he taught his son, Rahula, who's seven years old, is after you've, you know, before, during, but especially after you've done an action, reflect and see if it leaves any discomfort, any suffering, and if it does, don't turn it into a story about how bad you are or whatever, just know that's something you shouldn't do and that's ajasaya, that is the constant reflection when there's shame, discomfort, unease to reflect wow, I don't feel good so um, before I go into ways to set them I'm going to just give you a couple of signs when we're not setting very good boundaries so uh, 
if you've got a check mark next to more than one out of these four, <laughs> making it like one of those uh, tests in magazines, if you sign more than five out of ten of these, you need to set boundaries. <laughs> All right. So the first is, do you resent people in your life that you're close to rather than talk to them about the issue? The sign of resentment or rumination, carrying around stories of why don't they change, be different, blah, 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 is a sure sign that we're feeling taken advantage of or underappreciated or there's a feeling of, uh, of uh, frustration. Now, of course, there are times when you do talk to people and you make it clear calmly that you can't and they still do it. It's, it's an ingrained habit. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about resentment where we just uh, think it's easier not to address someone about something. It's too early, or we feel they won't like it, or we feel it'll risk the relationship, or whatever. So we fail to be clear about a need, a limit that we're not setting, or we've fallen into a pattern, and we're waiting for a perfect time. That special time. Honey, when you blah, 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 it drives me crazy. So that's one sign. Resentments about stuff that we have not talked about or have only talked about once or twice but remain lingering frustrations. Two is when we begin to fall into doubt and suspicion about strangers or people who are well-meaning, a lack of trust, our general feeling that people are not to be trusted, that's a sign that we're not in early relationships setting very good boundaries. Because if we constantly find globally that we find it difficult to talk to people about certain subjects, it simply means that we haven't learned how to say, hey, I need to talk about this or that, but I don't, you know, right now I just need to get it off my chest. We're constantly feeling ourselves being trampled over or given opinions we're not interested in hearing. We're, we've not learned how to set boundaries, how to talk and be clear about what our needs are. Uh, number three is a tendency to what the Buddha called uh, upalaleti, which is people-pleasing, fawning, uh, trying to win over people. Uh, this willingness to perform behaviors that make us feel inauthentic uh, is a sure sign. And number four, uh, of course, the continual winding up in caretaking patterns in relationships, which is, means you put more effort into maintaining the relationship or making it go smoothly, uh, emotionally, uh, helping the other person, that you're the person that's being relied upon, but you don't feel that uh, you're, you have found in them a safe place where you can go and talk about your own issues. So those are some signs. So how do we set boundaries? The Buddha uh, had a wonderful talk in the Kalamas where they asked him, well, you know, we keep hearing different moral teachings and teachings on how to behave from different teachers, we really like to know how to develop a, a 
uh, a, a sort of understanding of which way to build our moral practice in life, our way of interacting, our you know way of relating to others. What is the? How do we develop this? And the Buddha in the Kalama Sutta said, "Don't follow reports. Don't follow traditions. Don't follow." logical conjecture, intuition, analogy, popular views, probability. Don't follow blind allegiance to a teacher. So anything I say, please doubt it. <laughs> really, doubt it. Then he concludes, it's only when you've seen for yourself that these actions, when I undertake them, cause or lead to suffering for self or others, abandon them when you've seen for yourself. Now, obviously, this is all the boundaries outside of killing, stealing, uh, false speech, uh, or abusive speech, uh, causing harm through intoxication or sex. That, he says, are the basics. But anything else, we need to see for ourselves. It's a trial and error. It's a learning from mistakes. It's a, it's a reflecting on experience. For me, the key is the what I call the next morning test. Virtually anything can feel good while you're doing it. If somebody came along here and handed me some crack, I'm sure it would feel great after I nailed it. It would be awkward for you, but... <laughs> It's only the next day that I would go, what the fuck did I do? What was that? I was teaching a perfectly good class and I smoked crack right in front of me. I had 20 years of sobriety and it went up in a puff of, you know, delicious crack. Lots of people look attractive. It's the next morning that you think, what the fuck did I do? (laughs) The Buddha called this avajati, which is reflecting afterwards. The difference between, uh, the difference between, you know, uh, the Buddha said the difference between a fool and a wise person boiled down to one thing only, literally one thing, it's in the, uh, the numbered discourses, which is the fool just sees the short-term results of an action, doesn't see the long-term. The wise person waits and then later on asks, well, how do I feel about it now? When I think about it now, am I glad that I lent that money to that person that I'll never see again? Am I glad that I... Uh, uh, let this person I haven't seen for years come and stay in my my studio without setting a date when they would leave. <laughs> Am I glad that I, you know, uh, uh, when my sister or brother started giving me their opinions on what I do for a living, am I glad that I listened and sat there and had the conversation. Am I glad? All those things. Afterwards, 
after the next day when we feel icky, that's the Buddhist term, icky, <laughs> uncomfortable, when the reflection makes, it's the word literally Sam Wega, the Buddha used, it's that feeling of, you know, I don't like that feeling afterwards. That's the key. Not, not you know, that, that, oh, wow, this feels great right then. But later on, are we happy that we went to the bar, got loaded, and uh, hooked up on Tinder? I like to say Tinder with uh, someone. So you get the idea. It's different from one person to the next. As the Buddha said, don't go by traditions. In other words, he's saying don't follow the shoulds. What works for your parents, what works for your friends, uh, will not be meaningful for you. And this brings up the second key, which is courage, what the Buddha called viriya. To set good boundaries, we need to have courage. We need to be willing to put aside peer pressure. The brain is set up, we have two hemispheres. One hemisphere, the right hemisphere, is dedicated to seeking real connections with others. And we're naturally, uh, according to the psychologist Bandura, one of the greatest 20th century psychologists, much of the way we learn is by imitating and sticking with and copying others. So it's very, very difficult for the human being to uh, say, no, I'm going to go off on my own. In fact, in the realm of species, we are very, very poor at it. We are very, very susceptible to emotion contagion and peer pressure. And, of course, if you surround yourself with, with nuns and monks, that's fine. But most of us are not. A lot of us are in workplaces that are really stressed out or hanging out with friends that are sometimes not uh, always acting in ways that are skillful. An example, uh, when I first got sober, uh, 20 years ago, I got a job working in this agency, and I was newly sober, and I was bankrupt when I got this job, and I really needed money, and it was very, very important to me that I keep the job, and because uh, I was not the most employable person in the world. Uh, all I had was a bunch of years practicing Buddhism and drinking. <laughs> so... Uh, so I had this job and uh, that I talked myself into, and I, uh, they had the, the Christmas party, and I went to the Christmas party and I forgot that they had a huge, um, uh, that their biggest client was scotch. I think it was Wild Duck. Is that a scotch? I don't remember what it was. Anyway, so they had people walking around dressed as scotch bottles. And they walked in, and they gave everybody a fucking bottle of scotch. And here I am, like, you know, six months sober, and I got this big... Nobody in 15 years of drinking my ass off did anybody ever answer. Did anybody, no, I, ne I never had a bottle walk up to me and hand me a bottle of scotch. And there I was sober... And this fucking bottle of scotch walked up to me and gave me a big fucking bottle of scotch. I was like amazed by it. It was like, and I sat there, and then after each person spoke, they had this countdown just five, ten minutes before you will drink. And I looked around me, and it was like, 
after after doing this enough, people started going, wait, whoa, drink. Wait, whoa, drink. I was at the Nuremberg rally of alcoholism, and I was like the I was the Jew there, the non non-alcoholic. It was like the moment they spotted me, I was like sweating profusely, and it came down to staying there or leaving, and I just, I fled. I just gave the thing, and I said, you know what? My happiness, my sobriety is more important than going along with what everybody else does. And I felt, you know, at first I felt a little bit uncertain, but then I felt great about it, because I knew that I was willing to put that job uh, in jeopardy. I was willing to look bad simply to maintain something that was a deeply moral thing that was a boundary that I could not cross, that I could not safely cross. That doesn't mean that anybody else there was wrong, and it's really important to understand with our boundaries, we tend to believe that if other people uh, are, you know, do things that are contrary to our boundaries, that doesn't mean they're wrong. In fact, they are not trampling over boundaries. Our, our job is to maintain our boundaries. It's my job to make sure when I see an environment or a person cannot, you know, cannot exist with a boundary I set, that doesn't make them wrong. It doesn't make them bad. It doesn't make somebody a psychopath if I send them a text and they don't respond five days later, or if I, if they do something I don't like, people doing what they do does not make them wrong. It simply means that my boundaries mean I can't be with them. I have to excuse myself from them. And that's part of the courage is being willing to follow up and walk away at times be willing to um, keep our distance from people. Even people, with my own father, there was a time when I didn't speak with him for six months because he was so severely uh, acting in ways that I couldn't be comfortable with. That doesn't mean he was wrong. It was his programming, his personality. But I had to stay away for six months. It was... My sister both and I, it's a, a long story, but it worked out very well. Um, we have to allow our happiness to matter if we're going to set wise boundaries. There's a wonderful story of Queen Malika, who is uh, with her husband, King Pasanati, and she says to him, you know what, I was thinking about it, and I'm sorry to say it, but there's nobody I hold more important or dear than myself. And Gig Vasanani said, well, you know what so happens? I feel the same way about me. I'm the most important person in the universe, uh, the dearest person to me. Now, people think, wow, that's not very Buddhist. And they thought so, too. So they went to the Buddha. And the Buddha, instead of saying, oh, how selfish, he said, that's right. That's how you set and learn how to interact with people. You have to care about your happiness as much as anybody else's happiness. If you don't, then you're going to cause yourself suffering. Now, I worked for many years, uh, well, let's say worked, I was an activist, we didn't get uh, paid. I don't even like that term. I'm just going to say that I was a volunteer at CISPIS and other 
uh, organizations. And uh, I noticed that the people who constantly drove themselves and uh, didn't prioritize going out, having fun, knowing when to put down the activists and become somebody that would just relax and have fun. Those were the people that would show up and then burn out in three months and then fucking quit. And it was the people who knew when to put down the outrages of the world and knew how to go out and be with their friends and relax and have a boundary set that actually stayed and worked and dedicated and volunteered for years and years on end. So if we need to put our happiness up there, if we, if we believe that the world's happiness or other people's happiness should come at our own expense, we have not understood and we will not be able to be of use to other people for very long. It's really important, finally, to state succinctly without any justification of your boundaries. The tendency to try to make other people agree or like your boundaries gets us into needless trouble. A lot of our boundaries are just things that make us uncomfortable, and if you try to explain it, all you're going to do is wind up uh, either feeling, A, there's something wrong with you, or B, you're just going to spend a lot of time defending something that you don't need to defend. You don't need to defend the fact that it makes you uncomfortable at the beginning of a relationship to go on a five-day trip upstate with a new girlfriend or boyfriend. You don't need to explain to somebody that you uh, can't help them move if you've got a bad back or you had a bad experience with it. You just need to say, I'm sorry, that's just an area I know I'm uncomfortable with, I'm not going to do it. The Buddha was excellent with this. He would simply say no. <laughs> All the monks I've been with, when occasionally people ask them to do, one monk, uh, somebody asked to shoot his, fo his feet, one monk was great about it. Yeah, sure, you can shoot my feet. Then this photographer went to the next monk who came through and he said, no. Just like that. And she was like, why? He's like, no. Can't photograph my feet. That was it. <laughs> but finally, the thing about it is, of course, just bear in mind that we do grow and change as human beings and as we do feel more secure in life sometimes, the boundaries that served us well at one point in our life, we'll be able to experiment with dropping slowly. They're not meant to be things we cling to needlessly past the point of their usefulness, but they are important to know, and they are important to uphold for ourselves while they provide us with security. So I thank you for listening. I hope there was something of value in there somewhere. I thank you, and... If you do leave at this point, um, if you can donate so that we can pay the rent, I'd really appreciate it because we're always struggling to uh, stay financially solvent.